Hi there, my name is Carrie Conover and I went from classroom teacher to ed tech leader to CEO in five years. I'm here to share the stories and wisdom of teachers who have successfully transitioned from the classroom to the boardroom. Let me help you let go of the guilt, start building your skills and create your own path to a new career outside of the classroom. Welcome to Classroom to Boardroom. I'm so glad you're here. This week, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. Usually, I interview a teacher that has gone from teaching into another profession outside of the classroom. Today, we're going to be interviewing Tomar Yogev, who is an expert in finding people's strengths and coaching them to lean into those strengths. Today, we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about what I did during my coaching sessions with Tomar that really helped me develop as a person and as an entrepreneur. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to have a little bit of fun. And we're going to talk about how important it is for you to dig deep and know what your strengths are so that you can make a guilt-free and smooth transition out of the classroom and into a new role. Tomer, thank you so much for joining us for this Classroom to Boardroom podcast. I know we are going to have a lot of fun today. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I think we should start this by me just quickly telling the story of how we met, because <laughs> it's a good one. It is. I was at an event downtown Chicago at Evolve Her, which is a female, all-woman work co-working space. They were just launching. And... I tend to, when I go to events like this, I tend to kind of sit back. I go alone, which is scary for a lot of people, but I go to these events a lot of times alone and I'll just sit back and watch the room. And I don't necessarily, I'm not the type of person that needs to meet the most important person in the room. I really just like to walk around, talk to people, find someone else who's standing alone. And so that's what I did this whole night at this event. And then at the very end of the night, I was going to get my coat and I just happened to bump into your wife and we started to talk and she was asking me about E2E. I was just launching E2E at the time. And she's like, oh my gosh, Carrie, you have to meet my husband. Do not leave. And I remember she called you, made you find a parking spot downtown in the city of Chicago. If you ever park in Chicago, it can be a nightmare. And she made you come up and meet me. And I felt so bad. But that is the first time we met. Do you remember that? I remember it distinctly because I was double parked in front of the event waiting for her to come down. <laughs> and like, where is she? Why is she taking so long? What is going on? <laughs> And then she's like, yeah, not only am I not coming down, you're coming up. And I'm like, oh, geez, <laughs> what is this? But I'm so glad she did. It was exactly the right decision. And it, I mean, you know, you and I have had a blast knowing each other ever since. So. Well, and the thing about, I think back on that, that makes me smile is that how much you just, I was just authentically who I was and she saw something in me that she felt was worth you getting out of the car for. And those, I have moments in my life and in my career that I remember where someone just really made me feel special. And I try to do that for other people. And that was just, it was a really great kind of 
moment in my career. And then you and I met, we talked, we had a lot in common, we knew a lot of the same people. And then I had some coaching sessions with you one-on-one. And today's theme of this podcast is really about as a person knowing your strengths and studying yourself because knowing your strengths is so powerful. So before we start talking about all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Tomer Yoga. I'm the co-founder of the Big Joy Theory, which is sort of the leading practice model around incorporating joy inside of leadership development and corporate strategy. We do one-on-one coaching and workshops and so forth. My background is in tech as a tech entrepreneur. I had a variety of different businesses all the way going back to my college days. Some some notable successes, some equally notable failures. <laughs> um, but about a decade ago, I started doing a lot of interim executive work. And in that function, what I started to realize is that there was there was fundamentally a disconnect in leadership and, and, and that it's true at the earliest stage of entrepreneurship and it's true at the you know largest, most corporate, most whatever organizations. And it goes to exactly what you just talked about in your story around authenticity. And I know that there's a lot out there about authentic leadership and so on and so forth, but I think what is so critical in your story, and, and, and you, you, you said it, but I'm just going to reiterate it, is when you present authentically, completely in your whole self, the rest of the world can now respond to that. And there are people like my wife who are pretty intuitive, pretty intelligent, know what they're looking for. And when you show it, they will be attracted to it. And conversely, the people who think that what you are presenting authentically is silly and ridiculous and crazy and don't like it and whatever, they will be repulsed by it. And that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But what happened in my version of that evening is exactly like you said, you presented completely authentically. And just as you were attracted to my wife for her authentic presentation, she was attracted to you for yours. And then because everything was happening so clearly, so effectively, so efficiently, that's why she's like, hey, Tomer, I don't care that it's whatever, like nine or 10 o'clock at night. I don't (laughs) care that you're sitting down there in a car waiting for me to come down. None of that's going to happen. You're going to come upstairs. You're going to talk to this woman because there's something here. And I think if you weren't, being completely authentic, if you weren't clear on who you were and what you were trying to do, and you were just, oh, let me go find the most important person in the room and schmooze them and, you know, maybe they'll, whatever, pat me on the head and give me a job or whatever it is you want from this rich, famous person, um, none of that could have happened because you'd be too busy playing a role. You'd be too busy not actually being caring. And so... In my work as a coach, the first step is actually helping people develop that self-awareness so that they even know what that is. Thankfully with you, you already knew that. That's why everything happened that evening. And then as we move into coaching, it's about deepening and understanding strengths, understanding joy in your own life, your own data, so that we can further that and start expressing it so that more people can 
understand it and be it and be around it. And then the final phase of the work is what we call self-efficacy, essentially building a life around those truths, be that at home, at work, or what have you. What I loved about our work together, I mean, we used a couple of different tests that we did, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But after we got through that work, not through that work, but as we are working through that work, I was practicing things. And as I knew my strengths, I would go into social settings and fine tune those things. So talking about people finding their strengths, I see a lot now that I've kind of broke through and I'm doing this work as an entrepreneur, I see a lot of people who want to make change in their professional life or even their personal life or in their career. And they talk about it and they have ideas, but they don't make that change. What do you think is the biggest blocker from people making those changes? Put simply, it's a deficit orientation. It's the idea of this is what's wrong with the context, with me, with my boss or spouse or whatever it may be. And then here's how it needs fixing. And it's not to say that there's no such thing as a problem in the world. Of course there are. But the real data is in what's working. And the real data is in how do you get more of that to manifest in your life? And so when you talk about people who want to affect change and why they then don't actually get out of bed to do it, it's because they are stuck in all the problems and all the reasons why it won't work, as opposed to here is my magic, here's what I know I can do and what I can bring, and so I'm going to bring it into this new context, in this new way to solve this new problem, as opposed to what I'm doing today, be it, you know, in the case of most people in your audience, in the classroom, for the children in some sort of educational capacity. So if you think about that as I'm a teacher, I'm filling a pull to something more, possibly transitioning out of the classroom, how could this concept apply to a teacher who maybe is feeling blocked from making that next step? So it, it the first step in my mind is differentiating your what's from your how's. And I know that when I work together, Carrie, we spend a lot of time on this yeah. around what you do in this, you know, in the example you gave is you teach and teaching is a beautiful thing and we all value it, although they're not highly paid, as we all know. Uh, but, you know, teaching is a thing you do. But one of the things that has kind of come to light in this COVID era in the educational world, and I think it's kind of, it's been difficult for sure, but if there's a silver lining in all of that, is that um, you had to figure out what your how was at some level, because the what has shifted. You don't get to just stand in front of the class with 30 kids and desks and do your lesson plan. Now you have to figure out how you're going to take that and do it through an entirely different medium, be it Zoom or whatever it is, you're doing hybrid learning. And so it, it calls into question, what is your how? How is it that you're teaching? second grade math or whatever it may be. Um, and what is it that's special about you as a teacher that you're bringing to that classroom? Is it because you're 
just great at explaining math? Is it because you get to know the kids super well? Is it because whatever? And then how do we take that out of that traditional classroom setting and bring it into this Zoom world? The same thing would be the answer to your question, Carrie, which is if I'm going to walk away from the classroom altogether and I'm going to go get a job in sales or in a boardroom or whatever, that same how is going to be relevant. So if you were super great at getting to understand the kids and relate to them and get to them at that deeper level, then that almost certainly is going to be what sets you apart as a salesperson, as a board member, as an executive, as whatever. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And I, I, I can't help but to think of my own story because I just, that is exactly those strengths that I had that made me a good teacher. I was able to repurpose those in a way in my new role. Like I'm looking right now. So let's talk a little bit about one of the tools that we use together. It's actually the first kind of professional test or tool that I ever used. So I took strengths finders, which is kind of the nickname for the test. So I'll let you explain that in a second. Yeah. But I took that my first year out of the classroom, my first year working at eSpark Learning. And then I took it again, right when we started doing our work together. So can you explain this assessment tool that we used and that many people use in the professional setting? Yeah. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to go kind of a little even further back, which is, um, you know, so there's psychology. And for the most part, psychology is deficit oriented. You go to a psychologist because you're depressed or you're anxious or you're whatever. A number of years ago, a kind of branch of psychology called positive psychology was created, which is fundamentally the focus on what is going well. What, you know, psychology has space for happiness and love and joy and all these other things, but we don't tend to study it. So within psychology, a branch was created called positive psychology, which really started to focus on the positive side of psychology, because psychology does allow for love and joy and bliss and these sorts of things. But nobody ever really studied it. And you certainly don't go to a psychologist because you have too much bliss in your life. Within that, a number of years later, a gentleman by the name of Donald Clifton created strengths based psychology, which identified 34 different strengths. And the concept is we all have all of those strengths, but there are ones that we pull from more regularly than others by virtue of our culture, how we are raised, how our brain works, whatever. And so uh, it used to be called Strength Finders, as you said. Gallup purchased the rights to the assessment a number of years ago and had since renamed it Gallup's Clifton Strengths Assessment. And anyone can take it. It's like 20 bucks and you get essentially your top five strengths. So again, the idea that you have all 34, but these are the five that are the most salient to how you live and lead. When I took this test for the first time, you get your five strengths. And then you get like a kind of a little report that tells you about the insights of those strengths. And I like cut and pasted some of them out and sent them to my college friends and like in an email chain or whatever. And they were rolling in laughter because it was so dead on some of the things it said there about me. 
I want to talk a little bit to take a second. I'm just going to share my strengths for when we took this, because I think it might be a good way for people to understand what kind of strengths it, it spits back out at you. Do you think that would be helpful? Yeah, by all means. Okay. So when I took this the second time, I had four of the five were the same, which I was a little surprised because it was probably four or five years later. So I had my top strength was activator. My second was individualization, strategic, woo, and positivity. Now, when I took it the first time, positivity was my number one. So it got bumped down to number five. But what you were saying earlier about those things being who I was as a teacher and made me a strong teacher, I think about this. Activator, I was able to get a classroom of 30 kids going and excited about stuff. Individualization, I saw every student as a unique individual and got to know them and built a relationship based on that. Strategic was not one of my strengths when I first took it, but I think being an entrepreneur has really brought out like that strategic strength was kind of probably what, maybe sixth or seventh on that list. And I think just working in ed tech and being an entrepreneur brought that out of me, but I'm sure I was very strategic in my planning and curriculum. Woo and positivity. I definitely looked on the bright side and tried to bring that to my classroom. Um, Woo is always one that people kind of laugh about. Will you explain what woo is? Yeah, by all means. Woo is um, probably if there's a single strength that I wish I had, (laughs) it's woo. Um, I'm always in awe of people who have woo. So woo is essentially, I'll put it on the other side of the equation, people who, when they engage with people with woo, and I think we've all experienced this at some point in our life, where you almost wake up from a stupor and realize that you're like, fixing your friend's car and you're just like, how the hell did I get what? Like, I'm not even a mechanic. I don't even know what I'm doing, but here I am underneath this car, just fixing this car for Carrie. Like, how did I even get here? <laughs> you just been wooed. Right. And and that's, that's what that power is. It's this, it, and it's not to say it's manipulation or anything. It, it can be used that way. Yep. Um, but it's fundamentally a influence on other people that you may or may not even fully be aware of, but that you're getting people to help, to be activated, to you know, do favors for you, whatever, just simply in your demeanor and how you come across. Um I would contend for as authentic as you were being and all the rest of it on that evening, if you didn't have some aspect of woo, my wife wouldn't have been like, you know what, let me trouble my husband and make him come up here. (laughs) There was was something that happened. Again, I don't think we manipulated her into that. No. There was something that happened that made her go, I'm going to help this lady that I've just met. And... You know, I'm going to ask my husband to do something that I know he doesn't want to do right now and, you know, essentially trouble our marriage, not deeply, but (laughs) inject this thing because he might get really mad. He might yell at me or whatever, right? Like I could have, but she chose that. And and that, that at some level was woo at play. Well, and 
what was really cool, how you really helped me take this a step further, one of the things I remember in our work that you taught me was that I had two strengths in this influential category, in this influencer category. So you can take these strengths and I think there are four quadrants that they all kind of fall on. Is that correct? That's right. And you were like, Harry, like you have two in the influencer category. And I don't remember the exact percentage, but you were like, most people don't really have one. It's very rare to have two. And the fact that you are a woman with two is very rare. You need to use that, that, those strengths. Do you remember that oh, conversation? Absolutely. Because it's, it, it's exactly that. So influencing strengths are rarer than the other three. The other three just quickly are executing relationship building and strategic thinking. Um, and like, like you said, most people don't have any influencing strengths in their top five. Uh, if they do, maybe they have one, um, but it is really rare to have two and, or more. And it's especially rare as a woman or a person of difference, because just as I was saying before, influencing can very easily be misused or misinterpreted as manipulation. Yep. And if you, every step of differentiation you take from being a upper class, straight, white, male, Christian, etc., the more likely that influence is going to be received as manipulation or that you're somehow not allowed to be influential just because sexism and racism and whatever else in the world is real. And therefore it sort of gets beaten out of you. You know, yeah. as a little girl, you're out here trying to influence people and people were like, little girl, hush. And yeah. then you would stop. And so what's interesting for you is that as a grown woman, having gotten through college, evidently influencing, because when you shared the strikes, they all laughed, having done influencing in the classroom, having done influencing in your career outside of the classroom, those influencing strengths were able to persist in the face of sexism in your case. So the fact that that's still there speaks volumes to who you are and is fundamental to how you're going to differentiate in the marketplace. Because yes, you picked up from the classroom and you went and worked at eSpark and now EDE and so forth. But had you picked up and said, you know what, I'm going to whatever, mow lawns, sell used cars. I don't care what the job is. Your differentiation in that role is going to be that influencing ability because you've been practicing it since the, 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 this playground. And so the more you get in touch with that, and that's why these assessments like this are so powerful. It, it, it's not so much, Hey, Carrie, here's who you are. You know, this is the Lord's truth and therefore you must, it, it, it's not about that. It's, Here's a bunch of language, and if it resonates, we need to explore that. And as we explore that, we generally find these truths that have been going on since the earliest days of your life that have made you 
different. Well, and go ahead. When you talk about one of the things we worked on is like when I'm in that place of woo, like woo and positivity and activator, and in that place of influence, it is extremely powerful. And it's, it can be very scary to feel that in tune and really lean. And that's one of the things you taught me is like how to lean into that and how to grow that because it is scary, right? It is scary to be that in touch with those strengths. And I remember, I mean, to this day, my mom just brought this up a few weeks ago that someone like called me precocious. And I learned that that was bad. That that was bad, that they were making fun of me for being precocious as a child. And my husband's like, Carrie, have you looked up the word precocious? He's like, I think of that as a positive thing. Why are you, you know, and so I was taught and something inside of me held on to that. I mean, I don't know if it was just strong, but that is the beauty kind of wrapping this back around to taking tests like this or really finding a coach, someone to help you really take a deep look at that. I, I would like to sidestep for a second and share a few aha moments that I had in my career with this test. So one of the things that came out when I first took this test, I was my first job at eSpark, is that when I first went there, I had a colleague on my team who was a peer who I kind of had a hard time with. Um, and I, I rarely have a hard time with people. <laughs> Like, right? Like, I, I joke, like, I get free stuff everywhere I go. Like, people tell me their life story in an elevator. Like, I can get people to talk to me. But I had this one individual woman, and, and she really gave me a hard time. Um, so I just kind of let my positivity take me along the way. I knew eventually I'd be able to probably build a relationship with her. But we took this test. And my number one strength at the time was positivity. And hers was, I think, is it competitor or competition? There's like a competition one. Yep. And we read each other's. We were able to read. And I was like, okay. So the second I walked in this door, this woman saw me as competition. I don't think like that, right? Like I'm not a competitor when it comes when I look at other people. So I didn't see that. Also, I'm super positive. So positivity has all these strengths, but it can also be misinterpreted as being naive. And by looking at her strengths and my strengths, I realized that there might have been things that I was doing, not on purpose, that were triggering kind of this competitor in her. As well as, you know, one of the tips it said is in the in the work setting, say, I see that there is problem A, B, and C. I see those things. I recognize them. I'm going to look at options D, E, and F because I think those are like a more positive route to go down, right? So that I learned a good tool for me is to acknowledge when bad things are happening and say, I see them. I'm just choosing not to look. So that's one big aha moment I had. And then I actually want to pause there. Do you have any thoughts on that that you want to add to that? Yeah, what I what I love that you bring up is it's so easy to take positive psychology and strengths work um, and just go, yeah, 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 a bunch of kumbaya nonsense. We're all special little snowflakes and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to dismiss it that way. And I'm not going to sit here and act like 
the Straight Fighter's work has none of that in there. It, it, it does. But what you're calling in that I think is so hugely important is that when we start looking a little bit deeper at it, we start seeing that there's some interesting interactive effects that can actually start explaining a deficit, in this case, a strained relationship with this woman who, you know, you maybe didn't like and she maybe didn't like you, but understand it through the lens of strengths. And so, you know, the classic example in that space, I mean, you, your dynamic is, is a good one between positivity and competition, but sort of the classic example is sort of an achiever and a relater. An achiever just likes to get things done. A relater just wants to relate and, you know, get that human connection. And you can just imagine an achiever and a relater left in a room together uh, on Monday morning, that relater is going to come in. Hey, man, how was your weekend? What'd you do? <laughs> yes. blah, blah, blah. And the achiever's like, don't you ever do any damn work? <laughs> yes. Right. And so they're not going to get along and that's fine. They don't all, we don't all have to be best friends with each other, but wouldn't it be better if that achiever and that relator could just go, Hey man, like I'm an achiever. I still haven't like gotten my emails done or had my coffee. Like, can we wait on talking about our weekend and, or, Hey, listen, I understand you're a relator. I'll give you five minutes to tell you about my weekend. I hope that's good enough, but then you really got to let me get back to my emails because you know I'm an achiever. Yeah. And, and so it's it's not that you have to change. It's not that the relator isn't hardworking enough or the achiever is some sort of asshole. It's that we just have to start understanding each other, but you can't understand another person until they understand themselves. And so what I think is so great about your story is that you both had that moment of like, oh, maybe I'm bringing positivity and maybe that's sort of activating for you. And she's going, oh, well, I bring competition and maybe that's activating for you. And it probably was. And that's okay. Nobody's wrong here or has to change. But the better you two understood each other, the more we could understand, hey, maybe she's just doing that competition thing and I don't have to necessarily respond to it. And I can explain what I'm doing through my positivity thing in an effort to help her not respond negatively to that. The funny thing is I can spot a sniff out a competitor everywhere I go. <laughs> like I can, I know, you know, I think it has a lot for me growing up with two older brothers that wanted to compete about everything. Like I don't, I like to be really competitive with myself or on the tennis court, like I'm competitive, but I don't want to compete with other people. But now I see those competitive people right away. And I know, I know more by knowing myself, how to kind of work my way through that type of a relationship, right? To kind of ease in slow. So I love that everyone, if everyone has that language and you can have those conversations, but again, going back to knowing yourself, you also get to see other people's strength. I mean, it helps me in my marriage too, knowing these things about me that I'm an activator. Like I like to, let's get going. Let's get up in the morning. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Well, my husband isn't like that, but he, his strength are different and it's part of the reason we're married and it works. So one other thing I just wanted to bring up that you know, one of the things I've learned from the second time we took this together, and then we can kind of move on from there is this woo and individualization for me, one of the things that you helped me realize is like, this can get me in trouble. This can get me in trouble because I can go into a bar 
And every person in that room thinks I'm their best friend. Mm -hmm. I can give and give and give of those strengths. But what can happen to me is I can end up zapping myself, right? Because everyone, I if I don't set up proper boundaries within my relationships, everybody kind of wants from me all the time. They want that energy. So could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Your thoughts on that? And, and so especially when you see strengths like woo, like activator, like individualization that have a lot of energy from you going to someone else for their, for their benefit, usually, right? You, you don't individualize. Yes, you individualize at some level for your own mental health, but you're fundamentally individualizing for their benefit so that they'll feel unique and special. Same with the activator. But there is an energy expenditure that you are putting forward to do that. And it's beautiful and it's loving, but there are limits and you can't individualize every single person. You can't activate every single person. And so one of the things that's really important behind any strength is this idea of what we call maturity. Fundamentally behind every strength, you can be what's called raw or mature. Raw means it's essentially self-serving, that you're doing it out of sort of survival mode so that, you know, with your individualization, for example, if you were doing it because you just thought everybody hated you and you just need friends and you go around and like collect people and so on and so forth, that would be your individualization occurring in a really raw sort of way. Ooh, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> it's super exhausting because you have to collect everybody because it's, it's you know, it's feeding the dragon. So, right? you, you, you're never going to collect enough people. You're never going to individualize enough people or activate enough people because it, the, the, the problem is internal. When we look at a more mature strength, it is a more effective and more kind of makes the world a better place use of that strength. But oftentimes it's a lot more selective. So again, I'll focus on activator where not everyone wants to be activated. Not everyone should be activated. And so at some level, it is your responsibility to go, hey, I activate people. I tend to do that. I do it you know, with good intention, but it's not what everybody wants. And moreover, it doesn't always serve. So I need to be a little bit more selective on the front end, maybe leveraging my individualization to go, oh, I see this person for that unique individual that they are, and now essentially you know, judge them. I know people kind of resist going down that road, but, but essentially go, hey, this person marks these key features or themes where my activator has been successful in the past. I've activated other people like this, and it's worked super well. And through my individualization, I can identify that in this person, and therefore I will now choose to activate them, as opposed to just walking in the bar and wooing and activating and individualizing every single person that's in there. Yeah. I love it. Because the funny thing is, if I did that, well, let's say it was back in my single days, but like every single person in there was expecting me to call them on Sunday, right? But what does that serve for me at the end of the day? And so I think... You know, we, the reason we're focusing on me, we talked before this podcast, like, how do we do this? And I think we wanted to focus in on my strengths, not to be like, oh, look at all these strengths Carrie has. It was more of, 
giving, I wanted people to have like language and really understand how powerful a test like this can be and you getting to know yourself. And it all has been, honestly, all has been so positive for me because I never left taking this test or in a session with you being like, oh, I'm not good at that. It was like, oh, these are my strengths. Now, how can I refine that? It was always leaving feeling positive about who I was as a human being. Well, what I hope your listeners are kind of experiencing as they hear this is a couple of things. One, Carrie seems to have a good understanding of herself. And I'm hearing how some of these themes maybe showed up in other episodes or other things I've seen Carrie do. And and so this is all sort of making sense. We're just kind of putting some terminology to these things that I've already experienced at some level. Second, maybe you're starting to hear some of the themes that like, hey, I kind of do that too. Maybe that's something I do. Maybe that's something I can explore. I can deepen for my own practice of understanding myself. But you also may be hearing stuff of like, wow, Carrie sure is full of herself. Carrie sure thinks <laughs> he just is great. And that's fine too. If that's what you're hearing right now, that's fine. Maybe you have some competition going on or some other thing going on that you're picking apart her activator, her woo, her individualization. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you some cynic asshole who doesn't appreciate this gem that Carrie is. Carrie is Carrie. You are you. And there are some things that are going to align and there are some things that aren't. But whatever it is, that's data. And the more we can understand that and start picking that apart and understanding how that plays into your life, not just when you're listening to Carrie's podcast, but when you go to work or when you engage with your spouse or when you whatever, that helps you to understand who you are, how you relate to the world, how you express and receive other people. And the better you can understand that and kind of take the reins on that, the better you can ensure that what you're putting out there is what you intend and that what you're taking in is what you need. And I love what you're saying, because if we were all, we all had all the same strengths, this would be a really boring world and it's okay. We don't all have to love, 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 love each other, right? Like in the workplace, we all need to appreciate each other's strengths and get along and be professional and cooperative. But I like what you're saying. Like, you know, as much as I don't like the idea of someone sitting and picking apart who I am while they're listening to this, (laughs) I have no control over that. And You and going through this process with you has helped me love myself more, like be like, okay with the fact that sometimes it's scary to be in my zone and using my strengths. And so I love that you share that. It's it's a really good way to kind of wrap up this idea of strengths finder. Anything else you want to add before I kind of ask you a few conclusion questions? Yeah, sure. I mean, what I would say about kind of the, 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 the joy and the loving yourself that you kind of referenced there, you know, there's a there's an old kind of Buddhist adage that whatever you pay attention to grows. And by doing this work, you're paying attention to things that are strong in you, that are beautiful in you, that you are bringing in positive and productive ways in life. And the more you kind of bring your mind to that, the more of that there will be. So much of what we're taught And forgive me, I know you have a lot of educators out there, but it's largely taught in the academic world is to orient around the deficit. It's, you know, you come home in second grade with 
five A's and a B minus, the response is, what the hell's up with the B minus? Fix yep. the B minus. And, you know, that B minus was in history. You're never going to be a historian. Maybe it's just totally fine. And when you look at the most successful people in the world, I don't care if you measure success by dollars or happiness or whatever success means to you, they are not great at all things. They suck incredibly at certain things, but it's not relevant to their journey and their path. And the same is true for you as an individual, be you in the classroom or outside of it. And so it's gaining that awareness and kind of watering that plant so that it grows and becomes stronger and that becomes part of your everyday life. Beautiful. This is why I asked you to be on this podcast because of all this knowledge. That's amazing. So let's wrap up here. If you had any advice, you you know the education industry, you know the ad tech industry. And if you had any advice for teachers, I'd like to start with how can they let go of the guilt they may be feeling that they're wanting to transition out of the classroom? Again, I would say that, that guilt probably comes from a bit of myopia. And what I mean by that is the, the reason, in my experience, most educators feel guilt about even considering the concept of leaving the classroom is, you know, I really care about kids, I really care about education, I, you know, and, and it becomes this very narrow view of what you and your skills and your impact in this world need to look like. There are plenty of people who have tremendous impact on kids, on education, on you know, whatever it is that you care about that are not in the classroom. And so it, 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 I think that within the educational world, there is sort of a, I don't know what the word is, but it, it's sort of this almost incestual sort of thing that like teachers know other teachers. And so, te right. And it just feeds on itself and that yep. it has to look this way. And it doesn't, it just flat out doesn't. And what's far more important is for you to understand who you are and what you bring and figure out the best application of that to the things you care about. So we talked about what and how, there's also your why. And so your why can still be kids and education and all these other things that you care about. All we're talking about is shifting the what. Keep the why, Keep the how, because your how is your strengths. The how is your joy. The how is all the beautiful things you bring into the world. The only difference is now maybe we're talking about a shift of what. Well, thank you so much for all of this wisdom. Thank you for allowing me, the audience, thank you for allowing me to share about my strengths and be a little vulnerable on this side of the microphone. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing all your knowledge about StrengthsFinder and just about Gosh, life in general. You're such a wise man. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks for your time. And we will probably be coming back to you, coming back to what is that? Coming back to the well for more knowledge at some point here on the Classroom to Boardroom podcast. But until then, thank you so much for your time and take care. Once again, if you are interested in our podcast, make sure you subscribe so that you get notifications when new podcast episodes are released. To you joining me each week for Classroom to Boardroom, welcome to this new podcast. Until next time, my friends, take care. <laughs>